0: Today we're going to talk about the Bible. Um, I kind of like the Bible. It's kind of one of my favorite things. And so we're going to do two things. One, we're going to look at some historical facts that would point us to the inerrancy of Scripture. We'll just look at just history and facts and how you would do an investigation and say, can I believe the Bible or not? And then we're going to talk about more of the, um, the how God works through Revelation. And Revelation is just, a fancy word for how God reveals himself um, that's why it's the book of revelation it's not the book of revelations it's the one revelation of Jesus, and so the whole Bible is the it's the revealing of god's story and god's plan for us all and so that's kind of where we're going to go so let's let's pray, dear heavenly Father, thanks for this day. thanks for this time we have together in your house and I pray Lord, you help us to <clears throat> to really trust your word um, I know Throughout generations, people have tried to pick apart your word, have tried to diminish it or make it less of an authority. And I pray, Lord, that we would see um, that that's not how Christians should think. That we should look at your word as your very breath breathed out for us to read, and that we would fall in love with it new each and every morning. We love you. Amen. So, um, just from a historical perspective, when you, especially in a college town, I think it's good to have the facts. I think it's good to have all the, the facts you need for the part of your brain that requires facts. Um, I tend to go back and forth between loving just the mystery of just how it is to having all the facts. And I, if I'm honest, I tend to want to lean more towards the facts. Prove it to me. Show it to me. Um, and so this is a wonderful bar chart graph of some major writings. Plato, Tacitus, Homer, and the New Testament. And so on this part of the chart, you're going to see um, the year in which it was written. So here's the New Testament, written in probably, uh, depending on who you talk to, around 60 AD, it was codified. That's about when it was finished. Um, so you can just kind of see that part. And then you can see when, like, uh, the purple's Homer. Homer's written 900 um, BC. So you have these different things happening here of the the time. And then you have the earliest copy. So if it's written in 900 B.C., then the copy of Homer we have is actually about 450 A.D. So that means there's 1,200 years between when it was actually written and the earliest copy that we have. Now why that matters is that people often say between the time it was written and the time that we got a copy of it, people messed with it from this point to this point changes, things have been added to, messed with in translation, that kind of stuff. You'll get that argument that you can't trust the New Testament. You can't trust what the Bible says because it was written so long ago and people messed with it from 60 AD until now in 2018. People are always messing with it. You'll get that argument. Well, when you look at other historical documents that we have, the New Testament actually is closest to when it was written to the earliest copy and the actual um, time span between the two. So the time span between Plato, Tacitus, and Homer is thousands, if not at least a hundred years, when it was written to when we have a copy. In the New Testament, we have copies that are right next to when it was actually written. So that tells us that what we have as the New Testament hasn't been messed with over time. That what we have as the eyewitness accounts of Jesus are so close... ...to when it actually happened, that the writers wrote it... ...so close to when it actually happened that it's pre-legend. And what that means is it's so close to the time... ...that you don't have enough time for myth and legend to work its way in. So uh, every community I've lived in, there's not... ...I haven't heard it here, but the two communities in... two states I've lived in before Wyoming... ...and the two towns I've lived in in Indiana before moving to West Virginia all had a crybaby bridge where if you went to this bridge at midnight, you would hear a mother crying for its child because the mother and the baby went over the bridge in a car crash and died. It was an urban legend, a legend of the town, that, that it happened. And so in Vincennes, Indiana, it existed. In Indianapolis, there was a bridge, and there was one in West Virginia. And they all, you would hear people talk about, don't go out to crybaby bridge at midnight. Whoa, really? You have a crybaby bridge here? Hmm, Interesting. Um, there's a whole website now, snopes.com, that t- takes out urban legends. Um, you know, do you remember for years there? It's Halloween season. That for years there was always, the, there were hospitals opening up the ERs to x ray the candy to make sure you didn't have needles and stuff in it. There's never been a single case of a needle being found in a piece of candy ever. It's urban legend. Do you remember the stick? Don't do you remember when you tell your kids, don't stick your finger in the payphone? We're not payphones anymore, but don't. My parents told me, don't just try to get the change out of the payphone or out of the, the pop machine. Someone's going to stick a needle filled with AIDS in there. Do you remember that going on in the 80s? That's when I grew up. You remember hearing that? That was all over the place. Like, don't stick your finger in there, there's going to be needles in there. Or um, the story of the girl who is a, some, a friendly person at the grocery store is helping her out to the car with her groceries, and she notices, like, the wrench and the knife and the duct tape in the trunk or something. There's all these urban legends that just become legend. The legend of Sleepy Hollow. The Well, the Bible is too close from when the events happened to when it was written about, and we have consistent copies. It's before legend. So you can't, you can't play myth into the New Testament because it's too close to when it happened. There's too, too close of eyewitness people, people actually living. You can't, you can't say that about what Jesus is. So when people would say, oh, it's just a legend, you know, the twin, and this happened. and It's too close to when it happened for it to be legend. Does that make sense? This is a, for those of you that aren't visual, more like line, more the accounting brain. I found this chart for you. Um, the author and the work... And the number of copies and the years from the original. So you have the New Testament about 50 years between the events of it happened and the original. 5,000 manuscripts, 5,000 copies of the New Testament that are all consistent. Found all over the Mediterranean. But we have stuff that we, I mean, I was a political science history major. I read Herodotus. Plato and Aristotle were big time. I mean, that was huge in political philosophy. You talk about the founding of this country and how the founding fathers through the Enlightenment and the influences of Plato and Aristotle. Like, it's a big deal. But there's only, when you look at how many copies we have from original and when they happened, you don't have as many copies. We have seven copies of Plato. And it's it's 1,200 years between when it was written and the copies we have. If you're going to throw something out, you should throw out, Western political philosophy from Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. If you're just going to base it on historical evidence, that should disappear. The New Testament is more reliable in its historical accuracy than most of what we know as ancient stuff in Roman and Greek political thought. So, why do we share all this? Just to show you that the New Testament historically, if you're just a historian, you're an atheist historian, you have to come to the conclusion that the writings of what happened in the New Testament are more believable and accurate in their accuracy than most of what is the foundation of Western political thought. So show that to your professor. Or friend, or whomever. This is just showing the number of manuscripts we have. The number of copies. So the, it's, it, I was trying to prove the point that there's so few that the, the first two, Plato and Tacitus, don't even show up. But we have 22,000 copies plus of the New Testament from all around the Mediterranean during the time after Christ. And if you pay attention to biblical archaeology, um, it keeps being proven to be true. That over and over and over again throughout the land of Israel, throughout the, just this last week, they came out and found um, the, the name of the city, Jerusalem, has not been found very often in writing. We have it in the Bible, but in extra-biblical, outside of the name Jerusalem, wasn't found very often. So when people would argue over the claim of Jerusalem being a holy city, they would say, well, that's just made up by those Jews. It wasn't really a thing. It didn't really exist. And so when you have claims to a city, people would say there's no proof this was even a city, that the name's even true. That's just in your religious stuff. We have no proof of this. And this last week, they uncovered a new space. They were doing the dig, and they found all these references to the city of Jerusalem within this dig that are outside of Scripture, proving that the city did exist, it's dated properly. All these things just keep coming out, showing that it's accurate and true. So, run through a couple things. The singular uniqueness of the Bible validates it. You have multiple authors with a consistent voice, but their own personality. It makes the Bible one of the most unique books ever written. I would argue the most unique. Because it's got multiple authors from multiple areas, multiple ethnic diversity throughout the scriptures, You have a different voice in different places, but it has a singular theme of the revealed nature of God. Prophecies come true, and history validates it. Prophecies, we just got done through Isaiah. Things predicted in Isaiah come true later. We have consistent prophecies. God says it's happening, it's going to happen, and it comes to fruition. And we just talked about history validating it. 66 books, multiple authors, Written over hundreds of years with the same story. Eyewitness accounts. There were people who had been with Jesus that wrote about being with him. You had eyewitness testimony. Over 500 people saw Jesus when he was roaming the earth after he was dead and he was resurrected. Now I know in our modern day watching of law and order, that witnesses aren't always accurate, right? If you're a police officer and any kind of law enforcement, any kind of investigation, um, witnesses can change their testimony. Witnesses, sometimes we don't trust the eyewitness account. But during biblical time, if you professed something and it was a lie, you were killed. That's why you see even the beauty of Jesus allowing the eyewitnesses to be women went to reveal himself to be out of the tomb, that their eyewitness account, when they ran and told the disciples, Jesus was actually trying to say, like, listen, I've revealed myself to women. I've revealed, I, I, I love women. I'm for women being involved in this ministry. And then the men didn't believe it. They had to see it themselves. You have all of these pictures of eyewitness when the disciples are running for their lives. They're terrified. They want proof. Jesus gives them the proof. Then they take off and testify to the proof. Eyewitness testimony is vastly superior in a Middle Eastern culture than what we would take today as a video or a picture or whatever. Everything was on eyewitness testimony. So if anybody is saying throughout the scriptures this happened, if they were fabricating a lie, it was guaranteed death. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Earlier in legend where we talked about that, the eyewitnesses were friendly and unfriendly. You have some of the Jewish writers writing not so nicely about Jesus and the Christians. Absence of motive to fabricate. Why would you make it up? Because the transcripts are historically so tight to when it happened. Now today, in 20th, 2nd, 1st, what, 2018, I always forget that part. This would be the 21st century, right? thanks um, the we would we would try to fabric, we would th- say today after the church is so big and how well, the church has done and the power of one church and we would say today that it's all just for power and influence and control right we would say those things today as antagonists to the church but why would you do that 40 years after it happened what would be your motivation That you saw the future, that the church, that there'd be two billion Christians on the planet. Like, why would you make it up? We can sit today in 2018 and look backwards and go, well, that's why they made it up. Because they're going to be the biggest religion on the planet. That it's going to have all this power and all this money and all these things. And that's why you're going to do it. That's why they did it. But if you're sitting in the moment, do you think they, they literally sat around and said, hey, let's make all this up. You talk about that one miracle, and yeah, walking on water, that's great. People are going to buy that 2,000 years from now. How about you? Oh, remember when Lazarus rose from the dead? That's a great one. That's a, people are going to get that one, hook, line, and sinker. I bet 2,000 years, years from now, there's going to be pockets or devices in their pockets with access to this and connect to the whole world. They'll be able to copy and paste it and send it all around. And I bet there'll be flying machines. Yeah, that will be great. It's ridiculous. If the manuscripts are written within 50 years of our earliest copy, then you have to, you, like, could you, could you literally, could we literally sit down and fabricate something as a group in this room that's gonna last this test of time and just make stuff up? No. And I'm prone to conspiracy theories, I'm prone to kind of step into those a little bit. Because I, 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 I'm prone to that, although in the last five or six years, I've known more people that have worked in the government and in kind of institutions, and I'm convinced that conspiracy theories aren't right because the government can't hide anything. So I really don't think there's anything in Area 51 because everybody would have talked by now, so it's not really a good thing. You can't fabricate this. It's, it, there's, there's no motive. There's no motive to make it up. Presence of self-damaging material. We talk a lot about the disciple Peter. If you are really writing a book, trying to prove to everyone that you are awesome and Jesus, you're making it all up, you're not going to put in there what an idiot you were. If you're Paul, you're not going to admit that you were knocked to your knees, you were blinded, that everything that you had believed in since a boy... A Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees. You're not going to admit that everything was wrong and everything changed. You're not going to admit those things. It's hard enough for all of us to admit our flaws. They they were very honest about all the things that were going on in the Scriptures. Tell us they were clear about just being honest to what they're dealing with. You're not going to put all that doubt. You're not going to put all that frustration. You're not going to write that as Jesus is going to the cross, you're arguing next to each other, hey, uh, which one of us is going to sit at your right hand? You're not going to put that in there. Because all of history knows that even though you're in the presence of God, you still were selfish. You're not going to sit down, hey, let's write about this, the walk on water. Oh, yeah, let's, let's talk about what fools we were. That'll be good. That'll sell. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Uh, Gospels are internally consistent. I know that sometimes you read, there's different times and different voices, but when you line up all the miracles, all the statements, um, the Gospels are internally consistent. John is the one that's kind of out there a little bit. It's a little different than the other three, but you put the three Gospels together, and there's enough of John that lines up that you can honestly say the four Gospels are internally consistent. Written by different authors, often to different audiences, but they are consistent in what they say. Extra biblical sources, we've talked about that. And the number of manuscripts, we've talked about that. So, just as a historical fact, you can't throw the Bible out the window. You just can't. Now, you can choose to say, I don't believe in God. I'm not going to go down that road. I don't want to buy any part of this. You can go down those roads, but you cannot play games with the scriptures saying, that it's been made up, it's fake, it's fabricated, nobody believed that, it's been changed over time. You can't go down those roads. Now, you can say, I don't like it. I, I think that's, I, I can't be the only one in the room that's read parts of the Bible and said, I don't like that part. Or, I don't understand that part. But we would be fools to just shove it away because we didn't like it. We don't do that with any other part of our lives. You don't like how many taxes you're going to have to pay? What do you do? You go find someone that knows the tax code better than you. They figure out a way. You dig in. You discover it. You figure it out. If you're a small business owner, the first year you pay your taxes as a small business owner, you're just trying to figure it out. The next year, you're getting help. Right? You want to go to someone who's going to help you out with this. Medical stuff. Medical stuff. WebMD is a terrific resource to stress you out. Is it not? Now, I'm not saying don't dig into things, and if a doctor's going to give you a pill that you research it, or you look into something maybe different or some alternative things, I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, when you're sick, you probably need to go seek professional help. If I break my arm and it's sticking out, I'm not going to have Eli just tug on it real fast and put a belt around it. I'm going to go to the hospital. You go where it, you're going to go where the professionals are. And so we would be fools that if we have the stuff in our brains, the stuff in scriptures that twist us, the stuff that we don't understand, we'd be fools not to dig in and give the same effort towards the scriptures as we would anything else in life. You got to dig into it. We can all honestly say there's stuff I don't understand, there's stuff I don't like, there's things I don't get, And if you just take a step back and go, well, then I'm just not going to do it anymore. Well, then you've, I don't want to call you lazy, but you're lazy. Like if it matters that much to you and you've got enough of a a push to say, I don't like this. I can't stand this. Then put that same effort towards, I want to dig in. I'm going to ask God for help. I want to know this. I don't, now I'm not promising he's going to give you all the answers. I'm not promising that but I believe the effort will lead you to a place that you'll trust. And I feel that's where I'm at now, after 20-some years of being really frustrated with parts of Scripture. The stuff I don't really grasp, I don't get, the stuff that I've dug, I've read the commentaries, and it seems to make sense, but I can honestly say it doesn't really click in my brain. Um, I just kind of go, I trust you, God. I don't know that I like that part, but I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. A couple other things. Um, When we talk about Revelation... When we talk about the revelation of God, when we talk about um, the different kinds of revelation, we start off with the fact that it's God breathed. That God said it. In Genesis 1, he says, God says, 10 times. So he's the creator, we are created, and we need revelation because of that. He's the creator. You and I are not. We are the created. So every week when we say the Lord's Prayer, it's a reminder to all of us that we're not God. He is. And I don't like that all the time. Because I think you should ask for my advice more often. I've got some ideas that I think would work out really well. But ultimately, I know that they wouldn't. He's God, I'm not. So we need a revelation. We need him to explain things to show us to bring us to himself we need that as as created image bearers of god because we're not god the distance between us and god is so great in holiness is so massive in knowledge and wisdom that we need something to help bridge that gap for us and one of the main ways he speaks is through his voice The idea of general revelation, that everybody is open to general revelation. We see this in Romans chapter 1. What could be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So when you talk about general revelation, it means that you can know about God without even having the Word of God. It's called general for two reasons. It's general in content, and it's revealed to a general audience that everybody on the planet is witness to general revelation. That stirring of there's something bigger, there's something more, this can't be it, there's something else going on, there's, I don't believe I'm the only one on the planet, I believe there's something after we die. I think that's a general revelation that's revealed throughout nature. Eternity is written on our hearts. Like, we know there's something bigger than this. It provides us the knowledge that God exists. The heavens declare His glory, the psalmists say. "Like," I, And I, I know I've shared this with you over the last six years, that I remember the first time I had my big thought about God. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home, um, but my grandmother took me to church, and my mom gave me a storybook Bible kind of thing, That I would read through it wasn't that God was never mentioned but there was no church activity there was no prayer at dinner there was no God loves you there was none of that happening in my home and I remember being about nine years old and we had (coughs) um, this great grassy yard and we had like an acre and a half and there's fields next to us and so there was corn growing on one side and soybeans on the other and I'm laying out in the grass on a spring day in Indiana and clouds are rolling over, and I just remember laying there on the grass and i don't I just remember thinking, man, like there has to be a God because all of this couldn 't just happen and we had just learned in grade school about how many people are on the planet at that time it was getting close to six billion people on the planet, and it just like there's so many people like there's just there's just no way that that this just was ooze crawling like microbes crawling out of ooze could make all of this happen and like there's corn growing here and beans growing here and my muscles and i can do and like i just i can't fathom that all of this would be just happenstance and i was 10 and nobody shared the gospel with me i wasn't going to church consistently i've been told god loves me and that kind of stuff by my grandmother and but like that's what we talk about general revelation that when people are sitting around looking like, there's, God, there's something big, there's something better, there's something more than all of this. That's a general revelation. Um, which is why when Paul says, that's why none of us are without excuse. Now there's a mystery there. There's a mystery into general revelation over the history of time. Um, if people came to a faith and a belief in God without being proclaimed the gospel, is, is that possible, is that... and. Those are the kind of conversations we have over coffee, and we're like, I don't really know. What I do know is the Bible says we should proclaim the gospel. If you don't have faith in Christ, then you don't, have, you don't have God. Is there a possibility that people have a general revelation that will be in heaven with us? I can't stake a claim on that. But I won't be surprised at what God does. So just like there's only been one funeral I've ever done, Where we didn't think the person was a believer. And in that funeral, I don't stand up on this stage or stand at the funeral home and say, Sorry about your family. He's suffering right now. All right, let's pray. Like, that's not kind. It's not good. It's not. So, even in that moment, the whole ceremony, the whole time, I said, I talked about God's love, I talked about his goodness. And I said that this gentleman is in the hands of a loving God. I don't know if that's heaven or hell, but I know that a loving God is going to judge properly in that moment. Now, I'm not going to go to that family and just like, what kind of pastor would I be? I wouldn't be one. And I feel the same way about that question. What about the tribe in Papua New Guinea? And what about... I can't tell you 100% that people in tribal existences throughout all of time, I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is that they're in the hands of a loving God. He is bigger. He's better. He's more loving. He's, I don't know. But what I do know is that when we get to the New Testament, we are, we are given the charge to share the gospel. We're given the charge that no one gets to the Father except through the Son. So all that other stuff is philosophy, and that's great to contemplate. It's great to think about. I like deep thought, but for you and me, for 2,000 years, we've had the truth laid out to us that it's our job to share the truth of the gospel, to go out and proclaim Jesus. That's our marching order. So instead of sitting philosophizing about tribal existence 7,000 years ago, will they know Jesus? How about you get off your rear end and go share the gospel with someone so you know for sure? Now, we can do both. I like both. But we got work to do. Okay, that wasn't really part of the sermon. Okay. Special revelation is the miracles. How many times in this church, just in the six years I've been here, how many times in this church have we prayed for someone and then we find out that they got a report that the cancer's gone? I know it's happened at least half a dozen times where they went in with the diagnosis and they've come out saying it's gone, it's not as bad we thought it was spreading but it's not um, we thought the liver was failing but it was just a fatty liver so go on a diet but you don't have to have chemo Like we've had, how, many, how many times has that happened? a bunch now do we claim those as miracles? we should if there's a prognosis here and then all of a sudden it's over here, why don't, we, why don't we claim that? Because I think we're too skeptical, and I'm just as guilty as the rest of you. If it's going to be a miracle, it better be someone falls over dead here, and then we go, oh my gosh, and we pray, no, there's no pulse, and then we walk away, and then they sit up and go, hey, I'm okay. Like, that's the only miracle that we're going to say is a real one. Because it's got to be that dramatic, And we're missing all the ways that God is showing that He's loving and He's caring and He's here for us. We're missing all of them. So He reveals Himself in miracles. That's a special revelation. We also see that Jesus is a special revelation. All the promises of Jesus in the Old Testament came true in His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. That's a special revelation that not everybody understands, not everyone is witness to, not everyone grasps or has a hold of Jesus. And then lastly, the scriptures themselves are a special revelation. So you have general revelation, nature, professing that God is real all over the planet, all the time. Like, think about that. That the wind of Wyoming professes that God is good and He's real. I'm, I'm... Choosing to say it that way. The yesterday it was just praise of God ripping through my house. There's a lot of praise going on yesterday. But special revelation is when God brings it closer, specifically to His people, specifically to those who are listening, specifically to those whose eyes have been opened. He brings it closer, miracles, Jesus himself and the scriptures. Ultimately, the scriptures are what we can claim a hold of. General knowledge produces great knowledge and advancement. General knowledge or general revelation, but then specific revelation, special revelation, um, gives us a higher authority, gives us a stronger claim. So that's why the reformers during um, the Protestant Reformation, they the number one claim was solo scriptura. That we are not going to let things go outside that don't match up with Scripture. So today we take both of these. Special revelation of the Word of God, Jesus, miracles. They all have to line in with and align with Scripture. So anytime we see something amazing, anytime we see something tragic, anytime we see great moves of God, anytime we see great moves of evil, how do we put that through the lens of Scripture? Like this is our anchor. Our anchor. That this book that we trust, that we believe is infallible, inerrant, the Word of God, in its origin, perfect. How how does it go through here? So when you come and tell me, um, the Bible says that we should call the elders together and we should pray. Well, where did that come from? This book. It says to do this that we should call in the church to pray. Well, why do we do that? Because we're told to. We're not told to go get dirt like Jesus and spit in it and rub it on your face. Jesus did that. But we see that the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, the people of the church are called to pray. Well, how do we know that? Because we have it here. So if someone else comes alongside and says something different, we go, I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's what God meant by that. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying there. Why do we have those conversations? Because this is our anchor. This This is the singular, revealed breath of God for us. We cling to it. We cling to it. So even when you go to the doctor, the Bible doesn't tell you what treatment to take. When you're sick, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, there is no hope hmm, I don't think that's what my Bible says. I think it says there is hope. Or the doctor says, we're going to try these things, but that prayer stuff, eh? don't worry about it. It doesn't work. Hmm, I think it does. My Bible says to pray, so I'm going to pray. Our marriages, our kids. It's become glaringly apparent as one has become a teenager and the other one is fast approaching that my prayer life is going to increase. <laughs> now, if I just parent, based upon modern psychology, modern, what you're supposed to do, things, the tricks, the, the, all the things that we know to do with kids and how they work and their chemistry and all that, then am I just going to run with that or am I going to cling to what the scriptures say? Raise my kids in the fear of the Lord. Raise my kids to know the word. Teach them. Feed them spiritual milk so they eventually feast on the medium-rare filet of the Word. Like, right, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, I'm going to follow that. I'm not just going to trust whatever educational... I mean, I was a teacher. It changes every four years. Sometimes eight. There's a new educational philosophy every 48 years, depending upon who's the president. It always changes. It's going to change again. It always is going on. So my kid changes every four... No. No. You run with what you know, what you trust, the Scriptures. Scripture alone. So, to close, we're created for community as image bearers of God. Now, I'm trying to tie the Trinity with the Word here. So, if we know from John chapter 1, we looked at last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So if the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh, then we're saying that these scriptures are the literal breath of God. Just as Adam has the breath of God breathed into him when he was made out of clay, just as Eve was made from Adam, we are made from the very Word of God. It's breathed out. It's a revealing, it's an unveiling of who he is. So when you approach the Bible, it's not just more knowledge of God. It's, it's like listening to his breath blow out on you that made you. And so when you look at the Trinity and the perfect relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and you had God the Father breathe breath into Adam And then you have God the Son coming down and is breathing and touching and caring for people on this planet. And you have God the Spirit that comes to show and to open our eyes and to reveal. That same breath that breathes life into you and me breathes life into this book. And it's done better in community. So if you push this book aside and pursued God for several years... You may grow closer to him in prayer, but it's going to lack because you pushed away his breath. When we put the community together of fellowship, friendship, worship, word, prayer, witnessing miracles, general revelation, special revelation, when it all comes together, we are made better. I agree with lots of men and women in this community. When you go to the mountains, even though we're already close to God at 7,000 feet down here, when you get to 10,000 feet and you climb the peak of Medicine Bow, Medicine Bow Peak, not the peak of Medicine Bow, you climb to the top, I don't know know where that came from, that was dumb. Um, You get to Medicine Bow Peak and you're at 12,000 some feet, and you're sitting there and you're in awe of everything you see you feel a little more alive, you feel a little more connected, you feel like disconnected from all this busyness happening down here, and you just kind of sit in it. When you take that general revelation of God on display for everyone to see, and you marry it with special revelation, you sit up there on that mountaintop in awe of God. Because you know, in the blink of an eye, He could crumble it all, or He could make new ones. And He put all this out there, For everyone to see, you put those together. It's beautiful, just like us. As image bearers of God, we're put together in community. We're beautiful together. Some of you just make up for some of us with more words. We find the truth of who God is and what our purpose is only through God's revealed word. You heard me say this over and over again. Um, We make it real hard. Like, what's my purpose? To glorify God and to make disciples. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment. That's your purpose. So stop looking. Now, how's that flesh out for each one of us? It's different. We have vocations, we have jobs. But if you look at everything around you, that the purpose of your existence is to bring glory to God and to help others become disciples of Him, then things start to make sense. Your income, where you spend your money, where your vacation, how you raise your kids, what you do, the friendships you have, the hobbies you have, all of those things start flowing into this beautiful stream of just glorifying God. Man, I look around the room of all the hobbies and the stuff that all of you have and the passions you have for music, for hunting, fishing, for sewing, for cooking, for like over, sports, football, jobs, professions, the things that you all love. If you saw all of those as flowing to the stream of glorifying God and making disciples, I'm giving you an excuse to enjoy your passions more for the glory of God. You love it. Go for it. I've tried to use that as my way to get my dad to go on a mission trip with me for the last 10 years. The guy loves to help people and he loves to work on stuff. Machinery, cars, buses. There was a moment when our bus broke down in Honduras 10 years ago, and because we had paid the extra cash, um, I was able to call him from my cell phone standing in a village in Honduras while he's at his shop in Indiana going, hey, Dad, um, this bus has broke down, and you fix buses all the time. What do I do? And he talked me through with some bailing wire how to kind of fix this bus standing in Honduras and said, hey, you know what? So we got back, um, and it was going to be a costly call, but we got back. And um, I said, "Dad, it'd be really great if you'd come down with me and fix some of these things for like a week. How about just you and I, not with a big group? We'll just buy some plane tickets, just go and just go fix some stuff. That'd be great." And he never did it. I pushed and pushed, but I didn't want to push too hard. I would, but I'm, I tried to use his passion for helping and fixing things to help speak the truth of the gospel into him and then tell, see how I want him to see how that passion could be used to help so many people. Now what if we did that with everything in our lives? Pretty amazing. And lastly, together with God's Word, that's when the world makes sense. With His Word and us together, we can make sense of the world. With His general revelation of His love for us, His special revelation of miracles, Jesus and the Bible, together, all of that can make sense of the world. For a long time, when I was... First, really trying to dig into the scriptures. When I was really feeling called to ministry, um, I often separated the two. This is my faith life, and this is what's happening in the world. And I was always really frustrated. I was always really frustrated with what's happening in the world, with, from natural disasters to military regimes and people in suffering, and why can't we distribute the food pop- properly? All of these things really just burned me. And over here, I saw God saying, I love and I love and this is great and I I want to do these things and it's my story. I was like, why don't these two come together? Then someone gave me a a great book called Kingdom Come. And I actually was on staff with this, the author with Interval. I didn't know, I read the book before I knew him. Um, Got to actually talk to him personally and it helped put him together. It's the Gospel of Matthew saying, This is what the world's about. The whole world's about God. And yeah, there's bad stuff and there's good stuff. And God is always the bringer of the good stuff, even though there's bad, broken stuff in the world. And the only way you're going to make sense of the world is if you take the Word of God with what the world's going on and you put them together. It's the only way it makes sense. And I think it was about a week after I'd I'd read the book, I was like, I get it. Wish you would have told that to me like 10 years before this, but I get it. It's what makes the most sense. When you take the Word of God, historically accurate, proven over and over and over again to be reliable with the circumstances of the world and you put those two things together and let them be bathed in general revelation and special revelation it all makes sense (coughs) not all the time I'm not saying that but I don't think you're going to twist your brain and burn yourself out trying to go outside of God's word and try to figure things out you're just going to hurt yourself you're just going to hurt yourself. So, the Word of God, inerrant, infallible, beautiful, living, breathing, the story of God. Jesus is from Genesis 3 all the way into Revelation. We see everything coming to fruition. God's going to claim his bride. It's all going to be made perfect, and it's all right here. And you have it. In a dozen translations, in hundreds of languages, you have it. So don't let it just sit on a shelf. At least put the app on your phone so when you're doing other things, you can read the Bible. It's beautiful. And if you're hungry for answers, you're searching. As Paul would say, I beseech you or I beg you, don't do it alone. Dig in with some people you love, some people you trust that aren't going to blow smoke. They're going to tell you the truth and dig in you'll be changed. I promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we have together in your word. And I just pray that we would all fall in love with your revealed word each and every day. Yes, there are some days when it feels like there's no time to read anything. And there's some days when we have that long, quiet morning with a good cup of coffee and we can just bask in what you've written. Some of us don't like to read at all, so help us to have people around us, resources around us, audio versions, whatever it takes, Lord, that we would just be in the Word. We know that people of the book, it was an oral tradition until the printing press. So even the idea of sitting around and reading is only 500 years old. People would sit around and talk about what you've revealed, what you've said, what you've done, So help us to reclaim that again, Lord. That we would be in constant awe of what you've done, of what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And let us put everything happening in our lives through the lens of Scripture. Let it be the filter that kicks out all the garbage and leaves us with the pure story of our lives melding with your plan. Help us to see it in your word, Lord. And help us more than anything know that you're a God It wants us to know you more. One of the best ways to do that is to talk to you and to learn about you. We love you. Amen.